Hello everyone, welcome to the first episode of Let's Get Bored. We are home, and we will be home for a while. This means we will have plenty of time, the time we have always desired, the time we have always dreamt of, the time to spend the day in pyjamas, to spend with ourselves, to do meditation, to do yoga, to read, to sing, to dance alone, to explore old photos, or to simply do nothing. After all, we have the time. And yet, when you actually have time, you no longer want to do any of the things you had once desired. Why? Because you are human. And humans eventually get bored. My dear fellow humans, we will be bored. In the time of Corona, there will be a huge amount of boredom experienced by the people around the world. So, get ready to be overwhelmed by inertia. The question is, is boredom necessarily a bad thing? In the hope of finding an answer in this podcast miniseries, I'd like to pay close attention to the issue of boredom. In this first episode, I would like to talk about the nature of boredom, a short history of boredom and different typologies of it. Why should we bother to talk about boredom at all? It is the most existential and yet most underrated of human emotions. Moments of boredom are like grey spots in our otherwise colourful lives. In his beautiful book, Philosophy of Boredom, Lars Wenden defines this feeling as a blank label that applies to everything that fails to grab one's interest. Boredom is a constant challenge to our existence, a momentary emptiness and a reflective gap in which we are all inevitably and unintentionally captured. Yet we tend to refuse to admit its existence even as we experience it. But now, the situation has changed. Since everyone is bored, the state of mind is no longer private to our own personal existences. It feels more rightful to be bored. Normally, people are too timid to say that they are bored. It is mostly seen as childish and naive because of the nature of the feeling itself. We are adults and we should be able to find something to amuse ourselves, right? To distract ourselves from this existentially disturbing state. Boredom signifies an existential response to our distorted connection, says Jan-Erik Mansika, a professor in the Department of Education at University of Helsinki, who gave a rather educational account of this state of mind. Nowadays, it is more crucial to talk about our distorted connection to reality, because with the amount of time we spend in our virtual zones, our connection to reality has become even more elusive. That is why talking about boredom is even more important. There is a wide range of literature on the psychological nature of boredom and many theorists have offered comprehensive perspectives in terms of clinical examinations and comparisons to similar feelings. To clarify, what is meant by boredom here is not depression or melancholy. It is a state of mind which could trap anyone at any time. Timothy Doshen, who analyzed boredom as a clinical issue, claims that the psychological literature on boredom comes from two different sources, psychoanalysis and industrial psychology. Here, my aim is not to summarize the findings of these studies, but rather to survey the very nature of the concept of boredom. First of all, let's have a look at the etymology of the word. The English word boredom comes from the noun bore, meaning a boring person, It was first used in the 18th century, although for some scholars, boredom can claim no clear etymology. Nonetheless, this does not mean that there was no boredom before the word existed in the English language, for there are so many feelings that are beyond language. 
feelings shape language and vice versa. So it is also true that feelings are defined by language. For example, there is this word Tosca in Russian, for which Nabokov claims there is no English translation. He says, No single word in English renders all the shades of Tosca. At its deepest and most painful, it is a sensation of great spiritual anguish, often without any specific cause. At less morbid levels, it is a dull ache of the soul, a longing with nothing to long for, a sick pinning, a vague restlessness, mental throes, yearning. In particular cases, it may be the desire for somebody or something specific, nostalgia, love sickness. At the lowest level, it grades into ennui, boredom. So, we can say that boredom is a state of mind that is culturally defined. There are different hues of boredom existing in different languages. But is our understanding of boredom also dependent on time? Let's have a look at the history of this state of mind in a nutshell. Who was the first person to ever become bored? How old is human boredom? Boredom has become habitual since the Industrial Revolution. In this way, there is a correlation between the rise of modernity and the amount of time spent in boredom. The meaning of the word boredom was accelerated by the speed of modernity. Discourses on boredom also expanded with modernization and its appearances in art and literature increased. And yet, claiming that boredom is a modern phenomenon is philosophically problematic, according to Elizabeth Goodstein, the author of the book Experience Without Qualities, Boredom and Modernity. For her, boredom has a longer history, dating back to ancient Greece. However, Peter Tuhi, the author of the book called Boredom, A Lively History, claims the opposite. He says that references to boredom are scarce in the archaic, classical and Hellenistic periods of ancient Greece, as the issue of boredom did not have the same importance for the ancients as it does for moderns. Too, he claims that until Lucretius, all appearances of the state of mind were ambiguous. Lucretius was the first to depict the anxious, bored lives of the Roman rich, who were bored, it just so happens, for quite similar reasons as us because they were at home. Lucretius, ennui-ridden individual, tires of being at home, goes out, returns again, dissatisfied. He hurries from his city house to his country home to escape the sense of anxiety and ennui, only to find the same experience awaiting him in the country. Lucretius seems to blame the unsettled emotions of his wealthy Roman on a fear of death. The fear of death. Isn't this innermost state of human soul haunting us while we roam inside our house, from one room to another, checking on the latest news on coronavirus from all around the world in order to escape from our own alarming state of mind, hiding inside the virtual world to distract ourselves from our own existential panic? I believe that instead of ignoring this fear, we must embrace it. And it is possible by acknowledging our boredom, examining the very cause of it. Now let's have a look at the nature of this state of mind. What does boredom represent? Monotony? Confinement? Repetition? Apathy? 
predictability. Boredom is simply a surfeit of something. It signifies an experience of detachment, indifference and remoteness. Everyone feels boredom, but does that mean we understand the same thing by it? To put it differently, is it the same phenomenon which has afflicted us from the beginning of time? George Patterson has argued that it is problematic to claim that the refined ennui described by the 17th century philosopher Pascal and the mid-19th century spleen of the urban flaneur and the boredom of the contemporary teenager who spends his time playing video games are all manifestations of the same concept. Yet, all of these experiences share a common element. Boredom is a difficulty in relating oneself to the world. So, possibly, boredom in the time of corona will bring a new understanding to this concept. Perhaps it will add a new value to this feeling. Because for the first time in history, it is happening all around the world. Or, at least for the first time, we have the means to know that it is happening all around the world. Another interesting question to ask is, yes, we are all bored at home, but are we all suffering from the same kind of boredom? Apart from its historical and cultural definitions, there are different typologies of boredom. For example, according to Milan Kundera, there are three types of boredom. Passive boredom, active boredom and rebellious boredom. Considering that our boredom is currently happening at home, I will give domestic examples for each type. We own at the sofa because of lack of interest. And this is passive boredom for Kundera. Active boredom happens during leisure time, such as when they are playing an instrument. Lastly, rebellious boredom is what happens in moments when people smash their phones against the wall. Kundera is not the only one who distinguishes between different types of boredom. For Martin Doylman, there are four types of boredom. Situative boredom, such as when one is waiting for the delivery of groceries. Boredom of satiety, such as when one has eaten too much of the same kind of pasta. Existential boredom, in which the soul feels empty and without content. And creative boredom, which forces one to doodle on a piece of paper. So, you may ask yourself this question. What type of boredom am I suffering from today? If you are not bored yet, or not sure if you are bored, you can search online for the famous boredom prone the scale test which was devised in 1980s to measure how prone an individual is to boredom. In the next episode, we will look at boredom from different philosophical perspectives. Thank you for listening.